Good morning, dear saints, and blessed epiphany. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Monday, February 5th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today, February 5th, the church commemorates the patriarch Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. His life was not free from struggle or imperfection, but it was marked by a profound trust in God. Jacob, as you probably know, is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, making him a cornerstone in the history of our salvation. As we reflect on Jacob's life today, let's consider the enduring faithfulness of God. His story teaches us about the importance of persistence in our faith and the transformative power of God's grace. It's a reminder that despite our own struggles and imperfections, God's promises and his love for us through Jesus remain steadfast. Today's text, which is Lamentations 5, is also a reminder that in the midst of our sorrows and woes, we can call upon God for rescue. In our chapter for today, the author continues the vivid and sorrowful description of that desolation of Jerusalem following its destruction by the Babylonians. But unlike the preceding chapters, this one, even though it's 22 verses long and we would expect that it would have that same acrostic notion where each verse is successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, well, this one's different. This one's a prayer, a direct prayer to God, where the people acknowledge their suffering, but they also point out the harsh consequences of their sins. The chapter concludes with a plea to God for restoration and renewal, asking for mercy, We'll look at all of that today. Whether you're tuning in over the air, online, at kfuo.org, or as a podcast, I'm so thankful that you're here. You're the reason that we do this. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get time, visit them online to learn more about all the great work that they do for the kingdom. That's lhfmissions.org to learn more. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me, pastorboo at gmail.com. I get emails all the time. If you email me during the show and it's appropriate, I'll try to get your question or comment out on the air. You can also send me a message through Facebook. Find me by searching for Phil Boo, B-O-O-E. And if you really want, you can just call in, right? We have a friendly operator. I'll answer 1-800-730-2727. Joining us this morning, it's the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Good morning, Pastor Beck, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Pastor Boo. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's nice to have you here, and we're going to be wrapping up Lamentations. Tomorrow we'll be moving right into Deuteronomy, but Lamentations, now I'm not on the one-year schedule, but those who are on the one-year lectionary, they've been in pre-Lent mode and Lamentations is a pretty good uh, book to be if you're in pre-Lent to reflect on both the sovereignty of God, but also to remind ourselves that, well, when evil befalls us, it's the consequences of the sin in this world. Right, absolutely. Uh, it, it certainly gets you in the mood for Lent. Um, and those of us that are on the three-year lectionary, you know, we've got a you know transfiguration this Sunday, but then... Lent's coming right around the corner. So either way, it kind of uh, prepares our hearts for uh, what is to come. And, um, you know, I think that 
the first thing that we should probably, well, I don't want to get into the text. We usually pray before we study, correct? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I can tell you're eager and I am too. So why don't we just go ahead and pray, lead us in that prayer and we'll dive right in. Very good. Very good. Uh, Let us pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God. In this earthly life, we endure sufferings and death before we enter into eternal glory. Grant us grace at all times to subject ourselves to your holy will and to continue steadfast in the true faith to the end of our lives that we may know the peace and joy of the blessed hope of the resurrection of the dead and of the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Lay some foundation for us before we get into the text today. Sure. So Lamentations is one of those books that um, it is admittedly, it is a downer of a book to read. Um, I, I commend you uh, for this study and for, for bringing the folks through. I hope that, uh, that the listenership, I hope that everyone has stayed faithful and has, has slogged through this difficult uh, book. Uh, and it's, it's difficult because oftentimes I feel like we are, maybe we are reticent to, um, to lament, right? Um, we, we almost feel like it's, it's a show of weakness or it's a show of, um, uh, of disrespect to God. Uh, if we, if we say out loud that we're upset about something to God, right. It sounds like we're complaining to him or we should be grateful that it, you know, it could be worse or, or whatever, but the Bible is actually got a good amount of lament in it. And, and, and lamenting is something that is, is good and useful, uh, for the Christian because lamenting, uh, means that we are not uh, failing to call upon God, right? We all experience bad situations. We all ex- probably not like they did in, at the fall of Jerusalem, like Jeremiah is writing about, but we all experience bad. We all experience evil. This world is very evil, as uh, as one of our hymns says. But what do we do when that evil hits us, when that evil strikes us? I think uh, in a previous episode, you had mentioned that uh, whereas the, the book of Job sort of deals with one man's uh, you know, being under uh, this evil, being under this weight of just badness. Now, in Lamentations, you've got an entire nation, you've got a city, you've got all of, of God's people here experiencing this badness. And so what is, what are, how are we supposed to respond? Well, it's certainly not by trying to justify God or get God off the hook kind of a deal. Well, God allowed it to happen or, you know, something like that. It's certainly not by trying to um, say this for that, like, well, it's obviously because of this specific sin, God has done this specific thing. Although, you know, when the prophets are still speaking, we do get those kinds of answers. Um, we can't do that today. Uh, and then the other thing is to say, we don't want to be silent. Okay. There are so many of the Psalms that are deep Psalms of lament of God's people crying out and saying, how long, oh God, how long are, are the wicked going to prosper? How long are these people who set traps for me uh, going to get their way? Um, and I mean, this even echoes in the, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, where we see uh, God's saints under the altar there crying out, how long until you're going to vindicate us, God? How long until you're going to show up and everyone uh, in all of creation will see that you truly are God? Uh, but these are lamentation. These are laments that cry out to God and say, God, this is not good. This is bad. Um, and the important thing there is that we are still calling out to God. And so it gives us an answer, I think, the book of Lamentations does uh, in terms of how do we respond uh, in the the tragedies of life? Well, and and you're absolutely right in saying that we often try to get God off the hook. We have talked about that a few times. 
and also this desire to not linger in the lament. Obviously, even in even when we're lamenting something that that's happened that we wish really wouldn't have, uh, no matter how minor or major it is, we're, we we and especially I, I mean, I can speak for myself. You want to get out of it and you want to get to that happy place as, as right. fast as you can. And we, yeah, we know almost, that G, go ahead. I was just going to say we almost, uh, you know, stigmatize lamentation yes. and we would say that if somebody you know has a prolonged period of of sadness it's like well hey what's wrong with you buddy christ is risen you know which right. you know christ is risen um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the road between right here where we are and the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come that that road isn't going to be filled with potholes and you know parts that are just going to be awful and terrible so we got to acknowledge yeah, that and- i think Absolutely. And I was talking to a pastor a few episodes ago and I said, you know, we as pastors, especially, but even as Christians, we want to jump to Jesus, I think sometimes too fast. And and now hear me very clearly. It's not that I'm saying that Jesus isn't the answer to the suffering, but even Jesus wept over Lazarus, who he knew exactly what he was going to do with. In fact, moments before he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He wept over him. John the baptizer too. Jesus lamenting in the garden before he before he goes to do what he knows he's going to do. So so while, yes, we cling to Jesus and absolutely always should, and as quickly as possible, I think when we're dealing with people, as you kind of put it, we can't just go, well, Jesus died for you and people have it worse, or Jesus took care of this so you shouldn't be sad. But this is something that is part of the human experience. And we're going to right. see in our text today that even as the people, and this is very kind of like Job, even as the people acknowledge, okay, God, Yes, we deserve this for our sins, but do we really deserve this? So they're going to be struggling with the severity of the punishment too, and and, and that's okay. I I think about person before a judge in American courtroom anyway, and if you disrespect the court, then you can be thrown in jail for contempt, and you can be up there up to a year, and you know. So even if you if you cuss the judge, you know contempt. If you uh, if you talk back to the judge out of turn and you've done it several times, the judge is not, you know, not going to be dealing with that. You can be held in contempt. Well, when we argue with God and this is what I'm positing and you can correct it or nuance it. It's we're, we if we do it in contempt, of course, that's not right, but it's not automatically contempt is what I'm saying. A human judge is very, um, <laughs> very insecure and wants to protect his authority as he or she should. But God is not insecure about his authority. He knows who's in charge. He knows what the plans are. He even knows how it's going to work out for you. So if you have to spend a little time just kind of saying, God, I'm mad at you, that's okay. That's okay because at least you're going to him. You're not saying there is no God because of this evil. You're saying this evil's here because of sin. I think it's awful, but who am I? Who am I? Where was I when he laid the foundation of the earth? That's precisely right. It's it's to recognize our place under God um, and that God loves us as a dear father. And so as a dear father, I mean, he wants us to call out on him, to call out to him. He wants us even, you know, tell tell me how you really feel. Don't don't just shut up your, your mouth and, and stop talking. But instead, you know, come to me uh, with whatever you've got, anger, uh, fear, um, doubts, um, you know, or you know, the joy and the the happiness and, and everything else like that, the thankfulness. Um, we should always go to God in prayer. Maybe that's a takeaway for us. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's definitely not just wait for when we're angry or when we're upset or even when we're sad. Yeah, I, I go to God in prayer when you're when you're you know thankful for the gifts He's given you. E- even Jesus was in regular prayer with His Father, and so there's certainly no reason why we shouldn't be too. Well, let's see here. I guess we there's nothing to do but dig in. I mentioned at the top that. Despite the fact that this passage is divided into 22 verses, it doesn't match that same acrostic as before. Just in case someone's just now joining us, maybe explain a little bit what what we're talking about. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And um, oftentimes uh, when you have Hebrew poetry, uh, you'll see, and I shouldn't say oftentimes, but it's, it's often enough that it's it's noteworthy, um, is you'll see either a chapter, a psalm, you know, uh, or, you know, as in the case of Psalm 119, you'll see 22 sections of the thing, right? Um, and the reason they'll do this is it's part of one of the features, you know, we have different types of poems in English, um, you know, like limericks and uh, haikus and different things. Uh, one of the ways that they will do poetry in the Bible um, is by an acrostic, which is another, I mean, we do that in English as well, but generally an acrostic in Hebrew is going to be, uh, there will be one verse for each letter of the alphabet and you'll just go straight through. We can't see that in our English Bibles as much uh, because they, you know, they, they put it in good English for us so that we can understand it. Uh, but <clears throat> The first, well, I was thinking, sorry to interrupt, but ahead. I was thinking earlier, like, what would that look like for a translator to try to preserve that? It, it might actually end up being pretty silly, which is why they definitely yeah. defer to you understanding it than just keeping it in this strange to us poetic form. Yeah. You would almost, you would almost, uh, it would be a nice thing, uh, you know, to have, I, I suppose in our study Bibles, it'll tell us that this chapter forms an acrostic uh, or this or that or the other thing. Uh, but it would almost be kind of a nice little text note just to have, you know, down in the footnotes or something, you know, this chapter forms an acrostic using the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I don't know. I'm, I don't do Bible yeah, translating apart from my own use and for the sake of ministry, but um, I don't work for a publisher or anything like that. Um, <laughs> So might be a sorry, but it might be a fun exercise for catechumens or even just someone's personal devotion. Maybe show, maybe show, just have have all that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I I do love translating just just for fun. It keeps my Greek and my Hebrew sharp. But um, so what we've had so far in uh, Lamentations is we had uh, chapters one, two and four uh, were each 22 verses long. And each one was an acrostic where, the you know, if you look it up in your your Hebrew Bible or if you, uh, you know, pull up a Hebrew Bible on the Internet, uh, you can find that each of the first verses begins with Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, you know, etc. Um, chapter three, um, you get a, a, a actually a triple chapter where it's 66 verses long, um, and it's going to be this sort of uh, threefold um, um, acrostic. Chapter five goes back to the 22, uh, just as we had in chapter four, uh, but it's not an acrostic. And I you know, I went back and forth on this. And I looked at a couple of different commentaries and kind of the, the, the thought that I had with this is if this really is a book of lamentation, a book of songs of, of, of deep travail, a song of almost kind of a funeral dirge or, or a series of five funeral dirges that are written together, just those, those weeping, lamenting, just awful, you know, songs, wouldn't you almost sort of expect for that last one to be just a little bit discordant. You know, it doesn't have that resolution. Uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Pastor Boo, if you are a musician, uh, but we, everyone can tell when a piece of music resolves, right? When it ends on that right. chord that that just sort of, 
ah, that sounds like an end. Um, there are a few of our hymns uh, that that end on an unresolved chord. And when you have an unresolved chord, it's just asking for there to be one more thing. Like, surely that's not it, right? Um, it, it's discordant. It's just not the right way that it's supposed to be. And I think that that's, that's the nature of Lamentations, the book, um, is to say that, yeah, it, we're going to go out on this kind of, we're going to break from the form of it. Uh, we're going to have just this other word here um, that, yeah, it's still a, it's still a prayer. It's still a, a song of lament, but it's going to be just a little bit discordant from everything else. And it's even going to end the last verse of the book um, is this, this unless this, hmm, where do we leave it? So I think that that might be, uh, might be something intentional here. Um, of course, you know, by the, by the Holy Spirit uh, that we would be left wanting more. I think so too, because you, you talk about that and that's a beautiful example. It hadn't occurred to me. We, you have this, uh, for instance, a scale. And if you don't finish the scale in your mind, you're just, you're just, you're uneasy until it gets finished. And that's intentionally done by the Jeremiah and of course inspired by the Holy Spirit, as you said, because we also see that this book of laments ends without a resolution. It doesn't tie everything up neatly in a bow. It kind of reminds me in a completely different way, but of Mark, where the original oh, ending yeah. of Mark, if you hold to that, is the women kind of running away in fear. Now, we know what happens. Uh, some scribe back in the day went, oh, this scale isn't finished. I got to throw an ending on, and it's not inconsistent with Scripture, so it's fine. But, but here, too, it almost would be like someone in the past, rewriting it to fit and to finish the story. Oh, by the way, he did redeem them. But we don't get left yeah. with the redemption. We get left with the hope for redemption. And the reason why I think that's powerful is because real life doesn't end like uh, an episode of Law and Order. You know, you don't have the escalating option. You catch the bad guy in an hour and he's adjudicated and punished. It's just you don't wrap not it up how with a real nice life bow. works. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I um I was I was just listening uh, on my run this morning to um to Pastor Whedon's um, daily podcast, "The Word of the Lord Endures Forever," and he was talking about um he's in the Book of Ruth right now, and he made the comment that um you know you look and you see all of the death in the first chapter of Ruth and just how sad it is, but you know Ruth, sort of like the entirety of the Scripture, is not in the classical sense a tragedy, but it's a comedy. Right. That doesn't mean it's funny. Right. But it ends not with death, but with marriage. That's the book of Ruth. But that's also the whole Bible, which is to say in the, towards the end of Revelation, we've got this marriage feast of the lamb and his kingdom that has no end because Jesus. Yes. I mean, he died. And and yes, you know, Jerusalem is carried off into exile and there is all of this just, yeah, there's sadness. But we do know how it ends. And so for the folks in Lamentation, uh, for us Christians today, we always have to have our eye towards that, that hoping, that trusting, uh, not, not hoping, you know, in the way that the world talks about hope, but that sure and certain hope that we have that Jesus is faithful to his words. Well, let's dig into these yes, words. <laughs> and um, any, how far do you want me to go? Do you have a preference or? Um, I tell you what, if, if you'd go through, let's maybe go to ver about verse six. There we go. Let's do it. Here we go. Sounds good. Remember, O Yahweh, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. 
We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have been given the hand. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get enough bread. Uh, let's pause there. Um, yes, I don't know if I did it justice, but uh, by the way, yeah, when we, we, we must pay for the water we drink and the wood we get must be bought. Sounds like living in Minnesota. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> heading up to the top, uh, remember Yahweh, right? That we're asking God to remember is a significant thing because it's not just, yeah. hey, remember what's happening in the time. Because, of course, he remembers that. They, that remembrance probably has a little bit of connotation to it, I would guess. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those words that if you look up in in your your Bible's concordance at the back, you know, they're going to highlight um, all of these times uh, where we have remember uh, being used in in terms of God's covenant. I mean, this was the promise all the way back to uh, you think of guys like Noah, right? Um, and then you know, uh, fast forward into um, you know, the life of Jacob, when God remembers Rachel, but all the way back to Noah, Genesis nine, God says, I will remember my covenant between me and between you and between every living creature of all flesh. When God remembers in the Bible, it's not as if he had forgotten. Now I know at the end of our chapter today, there is this, this, why do you forget us? Why do you forget us uh, forever? All this kind of stuff. But I think that that's being used in more of a, maybe I could say more of a rhetorical sense. You know, um, God, it sure, I mean, it feels as if you have forgotten us because yeah, God I would say it's experiential. Yeah, ex- it's exactly. Like, it's how we're experiencing it. That doesn't always yes. mean it's true. Yes. Um, and so by faith, we know that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He has engraved us into the palm of his hands. You know, even if a nursing mother could forget her child and God says in Isaiah, I will not forget you. Okay. So we know that God has not forgotten his people, even if that's what they experience, even if that's the way they feel about it. But when this cry goes out, remember, O Yahweh, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. This is that same call um, that Israel has towards God in Exodus. Uh, you know, when, when God remembers uh, how bad things are for them, this is to say God remembers his covenant uh, to Noah, to Abraham, uh, to Jacob, etc. You know, this is God looking on the, or the, a prayer for God to look not according to their sins, uh, but to look according to his covenant faithfulness. That's what they're appealing to here. And you tie it into verse two, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Well, the whole promise that God made to Abraham is that, you know, uh, you will have this inheritance. You will have this this land uh, on which you're, uh, you know, you are pitching your tent right now into Jacob on which you are laying your head on a rock one night. You will have this land as an inheritance. And an inheritance is one of those promises that uh, that parents make to their children, you know, that God made to his people. And that inheritance is, I mean, can we use the word irrevocable? That is, it has been made, it, the die has been cast. God makes the promise. And now they're looking and they're saying, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. I loved um, what uh, one of the previous guests uh, had said, you know, that, that, Israel, or or we should say, you know, uh, Judah, rather, uh, that they had placed so much faith in the promises of the prophets that the Messiah would come from Jerusalem, that they said, well, nothing can ever happen to Jerusalem. And so it doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter if we sin. It doesn't matter if we chase after other gods. Well, God can raise up from a cut off stump 
the shoot of Jesse that will fulfill that. And that's exactly what he does here. So they see that their inheritance has been turned over, uh, their homes to foreigners. Uh, And by the way, Pastor Boo, I mean, isn't that just for the Old Testament people of God, isn't that the greatest uh, word of judgment that can be spoken? You know, the word of blessing is always, you will, you know, you will live in houses that you have not built. You will harvest things that you have not planted. But then the other side of that coin is when you sin, when you reject God utterly and, and, and when, when you basically incur the wrath of God, even the stuff that you have built and planted will belong to others. That was like a stream of consciousness for six minutes. So I, I apologize for giving you 17 different thoughts all at once. But no, but I, I love them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I don't want to bring this into modern day politics because it absolutely sure. has nothing to do with the other. But it's worth saying that for those who are Jews today, who unfortunately continue to reject the Messiah, and so we're going to keep ministering to them. But this is why. Say, when we look at this stuff going on in the Middle East, we as outsiders might go, why do they care? Why, why is it so important to them? Well, there is a heritage for them that makes that land, even though the nation state didn't exist until, you know, what, 49 or whatever. Right. Still, there's something about the land and their culture that's really important. Now, in Christ, we know that, you know, Israel has been reduced to one in him. He has fulfilled that now. He has basically raised up from the rocks uh, uh, those who are descendants of Abraham. That's us now. Uh, yeah. Us being those who put their faith, hope in Jesus, whether you're male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, etc. But, you know, we say, well, we're looking for the promised land to come. But if you don't have that hope in Christ, then, yeah, a little patch of dirt in the Middle East is worth fighting and dying over. And I, and I think that ties in here. Yeah, we have to we have to remember in the book of Hebrews when it talks about, um, I mean, even the temple itself, but also the land. These things were, these are the earthly shadows of what is actually, you know, our 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 inheritance, actually the throne room of God. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they're important for a historical standpoint, but in terms of uh, in terms of any any theological, any spiritual, any kind of meaning like that. Um, you know, when when Christ comes again in glory, you know, when uh, when this world uh, rolls up like a scroll, when it passes away, um, it's not as if the Jerusalem that is, you know, a third of the way to, I don't know, ha- not quite halfway around the world from here, you know, that particular Jerusalem, it's going to be rolled up like a scroll as well. It's going to pass away as well. It's not like that is the thing that's going to endure forever. There is a new Jerusalem. There is a new land, and so yeah, we we should we should make that point um, as often as we need to, just to remind folks today, because you know um, not all Israel is Israel, and modern day state of Israel um, is not really Israel in the way that the Bible uh, is talking about Israel. That's a good point to make. I mean, exactly. If if you if you're inclined to support them because they're our ally, there are some extremely good political reasons to do that. But sure. let's not get mixed up with the with the theology of it. But yeah, you know what? I tell you what. Why don't we just take a break? I think this is a good time. Okay. It's about a minute early. And when uh-huh. we come back from the break, folks, we'll keep on going. We'll dive back in with verse seven. We'll see you all on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Don't forget, folks, that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com on Facebook also with your questions, your comments, and more. You can also call in with those questions and comments to 800-730-2727. Heading right back into the text with my guest, last time we stopped at verse 6. Picking back up with verse 6, we have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get enough bread. Um, it, it sounds like they got their hands out to their enemies. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I, that's, I, I wanted to highlight that just because it, it, seems, it should seem strange to us um, that Israel would reach their hand out to, uh, to Egypt, to Assyria, rather than calling on God. Right. Um, that's not their first uh, first response. Uh, and this is so this is uh, for us. First of all, it's ve- it's reminiscent of I mean, remember when uh, when Jacob and, and his sons reach out to Egypt, there's a time of famine there. Um, only that time God had raised up Joseph uh, that that, uh, that they might be saved. You know, God used um, the wickedness of the brothers there to make sure that Israel would be cared for, um, which ultimately wound up with them in Egypt. That's a problem, right? Um, and then they, they wind up coming back, uh, of course, uh, through the Exodus. The other thing uh, that I wanted to point out with this is that in Jeremiah chapter 2, we have this, um, this, ad, uh, uh, mm, we have this, this rebuke. Okay, so Jeremiah 2.18 uh, says, And now what do you gain by going to Egypt? Uh, to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Okay, Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake Yahweh your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares Yahweh God of hosts. Okay, So there's this, um, you're no longer slaves. You're no longer servants of these folks. So why are you acting like it? Why are you entering into treaties with them? Why are you, you know, um, why are you taking their uh, their daughters as your wives, et cetera, to try to get ahead in the world? You're still not looking to God uh, as the one who will rescue you. So we even see a little bit of that that sin still here in this prayer of, of lamentation. And don't we do that today? I mean, we sure. still do. You know, God's there, the creator of the universe, and yet it's almost like he's the last person we go to after all. Only all of our own efforts are exhausted and all of our worldly allies come up empty. Then we're like, well, I guess I'll have to hand it over to the Lord. Well, you should have started with the Lord. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm preaching to myself. Please trust me, folks. Trust me. Oh, absolutely. Same here. Let's pick, let's pick up with seven. Here we go. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, and there is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. 
Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. All right, it's going to keep going, of course, but we're going to pause there at the end of 14, another big chunk. Sure. Um, some heavy imagery there. Yes, and that's that's what I wanted to point out most uh, to our listeners today is just the, well, the intense nature of each of these images. I mean, we could we could obviously go through each one, one by one by one. Um, and some of these, you know, I mean, when it's, you know, obviously very, very violent imagery, women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah, right? Uh, princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. You get the section there with the young men and the old men and all of that. Um, yeah, this is, this is more than just intense. This is as bad as it gets, right? And it's as bad as it gets for everybody, uh, for the women, for the the princes, the the high officials, uh, for the young men who are, you know, military age and everything like that. Uh, they're hard at work for other folks here enslaved. Um, and then the old men, yeah, um, there's not even a place for them to sit together uh, and to discuss the goings on of the day and everything else. Um, I wanted to to just kind of real quick zoom in on verse seven. Our fathers sinned; they are no more. We bear their iniquities. There's some some back and forth in the Bible about you know the the uh, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children you know they 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 they're, they bear their teeth at it you know or God remembering the iniquities of those who hate him to the third and the fourth generation, um, but showing steadfast love to those who love him for a thousand generations, right? Um, we have some back and forth there, um, which is is not to say that the Bible speaks both ways or, or that, that one is, you know, the Bible contradicts itself at all. But what it's saying uh, here is that oftentimes when one generation sins in the way that Judah uh, had wandered from God, uh, it is felt by the next generation because it's it's almost as if um, the bad choices that you make today, you know, the the chickens don't come home to roost until tomorrow. Uh, we we have chickens, so I don't know if that if that you know does that do you guys have chickens in Minnesota? Is that a is that an expression you've heard? Uh, yes, of course, of <laughs> course, yes. Uh, we have lots of chickens where I'm at. I'm not in the cities. Um, oh, but, okay, same here. Yeah, good. But yeah, so you know. <sighs> There is this idea where, you know, are this are the children being punished for the actions of their fathers? And then that's a that's being rehearsed right now in our society when people are trying to blame folks for the sins of their ancestors. But God promises not to do that, except sometimes he does say that he will visit iniquity onto the sons. So as you explain it, and if I'm understanding you correctly. There's just kind of a reality that that if you have wickedness and you've been grown, you were raised up in wickedness, that, yes, it might be the sins of your parents that led you into that life, but you're still responsible for your own actions. Right. And, and I think that we should we should probably, you know, uh, just to take it back one further step, you know, what is the calling of all parents? It is to raise up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? We are to teach our children the fear and admonition of the Lord um, so that they will know God. Um, 
and Judah and God's people had wandered from that such that they were, uh, you know, the um, I, 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 don't, I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, one of the things that I get to do uh, here in my ministry at Holy Cross in Warda is I get to teach part time. Uh, I get to teach religion over at Faith High School uh, here in Central Texas. Right now we're doing Old Testament. And um, so we've walked through, you know, the the uh, United Kingdom of Israel. And now we're, we're getting into a wisdom lit uh, unit. But one of the things that we've noted uh, ever since the conquest Right. With Joshua judges moving into getting kings and everything else um, is that because they failed, because their their parents failed to, you know, to show God's judgment and to devote to destruction, the Canaanites and everyone else. It's almost like a cancer there among the people, that false teaching, that little leaven that leaveneth the whole loaf, uh, you know, the whole lump, if you want to say it. Um, and so by the time Israel and then later Judah are carried off into exile, they don't even resemble God's people anymore. They resemble the Canaanites, you know, um, and that's what's going on here. I think that's that's the way that we need to take this verse seven, our father sinned and we bear their iniquities, is to say they've taught us to sin in the way that they sinned. Um, it's not to say that, you know, you know, if your if your parents weren't Christians, you don't have a chance of being a Christian. It's not to say that at all, right? But it's to say that that very often we have that trajectory handed down to us, um, uh, except for the grace of God, right? And I've heard many a parent, laissez-faire parent, say, well, you know, my son and or daughter is now, you know, abandoning the church. And I thought the Bible says if you raise up your child in the way he should go, he won't depart yeah. from it. And and then the question is, and it, go, it does go back to the parents, Deuteronomy 6. Did you raise them up in the way of the Lord or, or did you just bring them to church once a, once a week? You know, the, well, it, this yeah. is a whole life experience. Now, you can, for, for comfort for those parents out there, you can also do everything right and the child will still go astray. I mean, you know, we sure. not to be cliche about it, but we think of Judas who literally was taught by Jesus and still went astray. So it's, it's not necessarily about the teacher, but it also is about the teacher, about the parents. So, yeah, it is possible that if you raise them up in every way perfectly, they may still go astray. But it's almost certain that if you don't lead them in the way of the Lord, they're not going to they're not going to just suddenly one day find it, except, of course, by the Holy Spirit's you know, putting someone in their life. Yeah. And I, I think the other, the other point there is to maybe bring in uh, Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, right? That in different times in our lives, we find ourselves in different roles there. And so if you are the parent of a, of a prodigal Christian who has wandered from the faith, you know, that you will always with wide and with arms wide open, receive them back. And, and you pray for that. You long for that as I'm sure the father did in Jesus' parable as well. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a, that's an important verse right there in the middle of this, but we do have to keep going, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we um, slaves rule over us and there's none to deliver us from their hands. So society is completely upside down. Um, if yeah. you think of those who have the lowest positions in society, now they're in the highest. Um, but it might be worth talking about slaves. I mean, why, why do a people who were released from slavery, and that's a huge big deal, uh, have slaves serving them such that now that the things have been flipped up, you know, the, the old men and the young, young men's having to carry their own loads of wood now because the slaves are now, you know, everything's upside down, but I think it's worth addressing for half a second anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Just, why just real slaves. briefly is to say that, yeah, I mean, Israel's 
in in a way of speaking, I think Israel is uh, is acting more in the way that the world would expect them to act, right? Um, the idea of servanthood uh, in the Bible um, is more, and I, I don't think this is, I don't think we're glossing too much when we say that the idea of servanthood um, in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, was supposed to be, it's designed to be in the way that Leviticus talks about it. It's supposed to be more of an indentured servitude. If somebody is caught, you know, um, they've made poor decisions or they're in a bad spot, then they might have to hire themselves out to somebody. You know, but there's a period of time in which you serve in that capacity um, and you are fed and you are taken care of and clothed and given a place to stay and everything. And at the end of your time of service, you can remain, a, you know, a, a permanent employee there, you know, and they, they have to, you know, pierce your ear and things like that. Um, but there's also, hey, that year of Jubilee when you are released, okay, you, you know, now you have uh, maybe you've you've built up a little bit of savings along the way and you're ready to go back into return back to being your own master kind of a deal. Um, when we see Israel taking slaves, um, I think that they've overstepped their bounds. They've gone to be more like the world, more like the Canaanites, more like the Egyptians. You know, that's one of the most heartbreaking things. Like I said, we were uh, in we we're in Second uh, Kings or in First Kings rather, uh, and we saw you know Solomon's rise and then Solomon's fall. Um, one of the saddest things about uh, King Solomon is that he enslaved the Israelites, his own people, to build the temple, and it's like. I'm I'm sorry. That sounds like something that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, would have done. And you got Solomon over here, you know, putting people into that kind of uh, pressed hard service. Um, some real problems. So when Israel steps out, of, you know, colors outside of the lines here, when they start taking slaves, well, then it, it shouldn't under it shouldn't surprise us when all of a sudden we look and now slaves rule over us. If you're going to deal in the way that the world deals, you shouldn't be surprised when there's an uprising, when the you know it's overthrown, and you know as opposed to the days of the judges when Israel would fall away from God and then they'd be you know handed over to their enemies and then they would cry out for relief. At least in the Book of Lamentations, there is no one to deliver us from their hand. There will be one day, you know, but right now, what do we even do? I think that's they're, they're throwing their hands up here, don't know where to turn. Would you like to add some more verses to the conversation? Yeah, I think let's do. I think All right, let's here do. we go. Well, we'll start with 15 and we'll go through the rest of the chapter. Yes, sir. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Yahweh, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Yahweh, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's how the book of Lamentations end. That's my nervous laughter coming in, right? Yeah. Because they're ending all of this lament over the destruction. And there's some, I mean, there's been some, you know, uh, sexual assault and, and cannibalism going on in sure. the streets. I mean, it's not good. And yet they end it with, I, I, please renew us unless, of course, you've rejected us forever. And that's how it ends. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we kind of touched on that already, but that's a harsh ending. 
Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah, there's uh, verses uh, 19, 20, and 21 have this like this tinge of hope to them. Uh, but then we are reminded in verse 22 that this is, after all, rightly called the book of Lamentations. This is a book of, of angst, uh, angst and of anguish, uh, of, of unrelenting sadness that, that Jeremiah, the, the prophet, is experiencing. Uh, we hold that he's the author, most folks do, um, but that he is just... You know, uh, God, we want you to act according to your covenant. We want you to do all the things that you have promised and that you always will do. Um, unless I'm misreading the situation here and it really is as bad as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? Isn't that something? <laughs> well, Before we get so, there, we should probably back oh, up to 15, right? Is that okay? Yeah. Very, yeah. You Sure. All sure. Right. So the joy of our hearts has ceased our dancing to mourning, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, this this joy of our hearts is the that's the image that that God's people are uh, that's the image that God's people have been have been gladdened by God's faithfulness uh, that God has won the victories for them. Uh, that's the way that that especially in the Book of Psalms uh, that that is depicted is that there is this joy that God has given to us that that the Lord gladdens our hearts. But then here we see the exact opposite of that. Here we see that that there's no one even uh, who wants to go out and to dance. I mean, can you imagine, you know, in, in the days that Jeremiah is writing this, um, if someone is, you know, given in marriage or is, is, is being given in marriage, um, I mean, what does that wedding ceremony look like? What is that? You know, there's no feast. There's no no time of, of dancing and time of celebration for a week or anything like that. Instead, it's just this. Well, we have to we have to get you married so that we can continue, you know, in our in our in our people, et cetera. Uh, there is this this grieving that has been depicted throughout the last four and a half chapters up to this point um, that is just brought to a head here. There there is no more joy for God's people. The crown has fallen from our head. You know, God has made His people to be a kingdom of priests, and. Now the crown is just, it's slipped. It's, 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 you know, it's the, the kingdom has fallen. That's what you see when Jerusalem falls, um, is that everything that was, was established there with the city of Jerusalem being taken by David, Solomon building the temple, and then later the palace for himself, all of that, that has been built up, built up, you know, now it is just in ruins. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, he continues it speaks on. to yeah, well, sure. say it speaks a little bit to two institutions, right? I mean, these things aren't weren't not all of them were bad. The temple's certainly not bad, but right. but the, the, they speak to where I mean, we had the same controversy when Jesus was around. You know, he, speaking of himself, of course, he says, you know, you tear down this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. But what yeah. people got upset about is they thought they were talking about Herod's temple, right. and, and so people put their faith in. These physical incarnate structures, which I suppose is our nature, and you've already said it, they could not conceive of a day when Jerusalem would not be, and yet the day has come. And they're learning. It doesn't cause them to say, well, there must be no God. Now they're just learning that, oh, wow, the only thing that's eternal is, is God and his will. Well, and I think the problem a lot of times, uh, which you just just alluded to beautifully, is to say that a lot of times we we tend to or we prefer to believe with our eyes, you know, and believing with our eyes, that is to say, trusting in our senses and what we see and what we experience, um, oftentimes that is not the way that God has 
given us to experience uh, uh, what he has done for us or what he has given to us. He wants us to trust with our ears or, you know, trust in his word as we read it with our eyes. Uh, But look what it says, you know, in verse 17, uh, for this, our heart has become sick for these things. Our eyes have grown dim. We used to be able to look at the temple. Right. And say, as long as there is a temple there and we know that uh, that the uh, the Ark of the Covenant is inside of it and we know that there is a priest there burning incense inside and offering one day a year the sacrifice of atonement on the day of atonement. As long as all of that stuff is going on, we know that uh, Yahweh, the Lord, is with us. We know that nothing can shake us. Everything's going to be fine. But they just watched the temple get, you know, not only um, not only invaded, not only, you know, uh, did the, uh, the Babylonians come into the temple, but they tore the thing down. They destroyed Solomon's temple, this this um, this wonder of the world, this glorious place that was the dwelling place of God. Um, our heart has become sick uh, because of these things that we have seen. Our eyes have grown dim. We can hardly even see the promise that God has given to us because Mount Zion is desolate and jackals are prowling over it. I mean, you got wild beasts and I don't know that this is a metaphor, you know, people who are like jackals or something like that, thieves and and, and liars, uh, or if this is saying literal jackals, wild animals are, are here. The, the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. There's nothing to protect it. Um, I mean, you talk about some of the things, uh, you know, some of the imagery that we've had in previous chapters and even in our own chapter of, you know, women and, and, and children being mistreated and being torn apart. I mean, when you've got wild animals all over the place, yeah, I can see how if you're looking with the eyes of flesh, is God even with us? And that's maybe the challenge for for Jeremiah, for us. That's the challenge for God's people always is to not trust what you see, but to trust what God has given us in his word. And and that is so hard because we run into situations in our lives, again, not as dramatically awful as what this is what is happening. But there are Christians right now in this world who are in the midst of their own wars and they're looking out across the places that they just sort of assumed would always be there. And now they're not. And Satan, the deceiver, wants to use that and whisper in our ears. Well, if this temple can be destroyed, if that church down the road closes, if if. You know, whatever, if you're if if you have this big scandal at your church because there's sinners there, you know, if all these things are fallible, then you know what? Maybe there is no God or maybe God isn't there for you or maybe God, you know, maybe he can be uh, destroyed, too, or just whatever comes into your head because you've connected the things of this earth to the things of God. And then we see in the New Testament, what does Jesus say all the time? Look not to the things on earth, but look to those things in heaven. He's redirecting our attention. I mean, God established things like the the tent of tab, you know, tent, the tabernacle, the the ark. He establishes beautiful things for us. He condescends to us in the bread and wine and in the water. But at the end of the day, He is above all, and so our gaze needs to always be directed toward Him. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we got to we got to take that with us. And that's got to be kind of the takeaway from all of this. First of all, you know, as we said at the uh, opening of the show, it is good to lament uh, whenever bad things happen to call out to God uh, with this 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 word of God, this is not good. Okay, uh, but the other thing uh, that we should take away from this uh, this episode and this this chapter is to say that you know we can't trust our eyes because our eyes are going to show us things in this broken, sinful world, um, and we broke it by our sins. But that does not that does not accurately reflect how God feels about us for the sake of Christ, his son. 
Well, anything else you want to, you know, make sure we get in. We only have a few minutes yeah, left. Yeah, we got a couple of minutes. Okay. Yeah. So we got to look at this. We got to look at this verse 19 through 21 section, because if there's any gospel for us, if there's any good news for us to sort of hang our hat on or for us to, to hold on to, um, it's these verses 19, 20, 21. But you, O Yahweh, you reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Okay, so as we look around, I think this is uh, maybe a good litmus test for us as Christians, uh, as far as what matters to us, what really matters, right? Um, when we think of all of the stuff that has um, that has the ability to last, those are the things that we should care about more, right? Um, so uh, you know the the possessions that we have, uh, you know. Um, maybe those things last, or maybe they're handed down to the next generation. And those are good, right? Um, but there will come a day when those things will not matter. There will come a day when it is, you know, that, that particular item or whatever is handed down to someone who doesn't care about it. Or, you know, uh, when, when the person to whom it is handed down, you know, when they suffer a house fire or, you know, a hurricane and flood or, or something of, the, of that nature, uh, all of the things that we experience in this life will not endure, but God's throne will. God will be God forever. And so uh, putting our hope and our trust, putting our faith in him, that actually will, I mean, I, I hate to use a transactional term, but that will pay dividends. That will actually be something that will will matter forever for you, right? So, um, you know, may each one of us, you know, I, I certainly would never wish this upon someone, but may each one of us lose everything except faith in Christ. May we cling to that forever um, so that even when we lose our own lives, we would be ushered from this veil of tears uh, into eternity with, with Jesus and with his Father, with the Holy Spirit. Um, so as we go through this, yeah, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us in so many, for so many days? That's what it looks like, right? But then here's the, here's the actual petition. Here's the actual prayer. Restore us to yourself, O Yahweh, that we may be restored. Restore our days as of old. God is the only one who can restore us. If we try to restore ourselves, if I'm speaking on behalf of Judah here and, and Jeremiah, if we try to restore ourselves, it's only going to be temporary, okay? We need um, a God, a Savior who is risen from the dead. We need one who will last forever. And, and I think I can answer this. This We left the uh, the last verse here, left that un, that shoe. We didn't quite let that last shoe drop unless you have utterly rejected us. We know in Christ that he has not utterly rejected us. He uh, remains exceedingly angry with us. No, no, all of his wrath has been poured out on Jesus. And in his death and in his resurrection, we have life forever. That, dear Christian listener, uh, that's what we got to hang on to. That's all that there is for us, um, is a Jesus who loves us, who gave himself for us, who lives and reigns forever with, uh, with, with the Holy Trinity and all the saints and angels in heaven. And he was coming again to give us a new heavens and a new earth forever. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Boo. Folks, join us this time again tomorrow as we flip back a few pages in our Old Testaments to the book of Deuteronomy. The Reverend Kevin Parvis will be joining us to kick off our study with chapter one, where Moses begins his final speeches to the Israelites on the plains of Moab, recounting their 40-year journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. This chapter serves as a powerful reminder of God's guidance, the consequences of disobedience, and the importance of trusting in divine leadership. That and so much more tomorrow. I hope you'll be here. 
Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.